You know, I think it's it's almost crazy the flexibility of being able to run your business how you want, right? In the military, you're told when to wipe your own butt, go to bed, whatever, right? I felt like that when I came and started working at that bakery, be there 12, go off at eight, and I'm like, man, this is not, I like to, it, I feel like it kept me from thinking outside the box. So what I love about real estate is there's so many facets to it that you can really develop it how you want. And so I'm thinking that that losing, not having to be structured, letting me make my own structure is what's driven me to stay and, and grow in real estate. Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to interview Charles Benton, a man who has not three, not four, not five, but six revenue streams. We're not talking about $10 or $20. We're talking about five and six figure revenue streams that are coming at him because he's learned the skills of how to make money in a lot of different ways in real estate. So I would love to talk about that. But today we're going to talk about what it's like to struggle because the market's changing and a lot of agents have been hit hard. And so we're going to take a route through Charles Benton's struggles in real estate. So if you're struggling, you might be able to connect to this and then learn from some of the things that he learned from to overcome. So Charles, thank you so much for giving us your time. Take us into what did, what did you struggle with? How did it go? Heck yeah, Matt. Thanks. You know, I've been uh, talking about this a lot lately. And I think because when I was going through my struggle in real estate, I really related to other, you know, successful agents, team leaders, brokers, when they would tell me their story, like, like how they got in there, what struggles they went through. And so it is funny because now, you know, real estate is volatile right now and people are struggling and stuff. So I've really been enjoying about it. So to, to in a nutshell, uh, I, I kind of was, was lucky in real estate at first, right? So I was on a submarine for five years. I've gotten What'd out you of- What you do on the subs? I was actually a torpedo man. Okay. So I was in the torpedo room uh, as in the weapons area. And so I loved it. It was cool. It gave, it gave me a lot of useful knowledge um, that I came out with. But what's funny is I joke with people because like, oh, man, you know, how was real estate? I said, well, it's, it's awesome, but I've only had two jobs. I was in the, in the Navy and then did real estate. So I didn't have a lot to compare with. Uh, but yeah, after I did that, I got out and I really, uh, at the time I, I was married and I really didn't, you know, know what I really wanted to do, but got out, moved back to Dallas, Texas and uh, a friend of mine said, hey, man, you got to check out real estate. So went to REMAX, got my license, and ended up hooking up with a, a pretty big REO team. And we started building out our REO inventory and portfolio, and it took off. You know, 2006 is when this happened, and the market was ridiculously good, unbelievable. And it was awesome. So doing, doing well, and then went through it. So, uh, you know, after the crash, things started to change a little bit. Trend and rest book kind of started changing what year was guidelines. This, this was, uh, I got in 06, around 2010, 11, 12 is when it started to shift a yeah. little bit, right? Like they, they kind of corrected some of it. There was still some staggering, but a lot of the Fannie Mae's and stuff started drying up. And, and that's kind of where some of our REO accounts started just diminishing as it happened. Uh, during that time, is I went through a divorce. So that was also a struggle right there. Uh, doing that. So uh, I you know, moved to Dallas out of the Navy. That's not where I was from. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. And so at that time, I chose to to make a decision. Hey, look, I'm going to go back home, be around family and just 
I won't say I tucked my tail and, and left, but it felt like that after I built up something to just walk away and go do it. So before we before we go to the next step, so so just to make sure I understand the storyline. So 2006, you're in you're in real estate, you're going through the crash, and tell me about that. Was it the stress of the crash that you think led to the divorce? Like like give us the story. It's actually after the crash. During the crash, we were balling out. We had great REO accounts. We were killing it. It was just me and another guy on the team, and we we destroyed it. Once our some of our REO accounts started dwindling down, I mean, we were getting 100, 150 listings a month, and then all of a sudden we started getting 20 or 30. You know, that, that sounds like, oh, there's still 20, 30 is great, but it's a big difference when you're doing that. And so probably around 2010, 11 is when it, it actually, after the crash is when I started to feel it because I didn't really plan the real estate business after REO. Right. I was just banking on that REO like crazy where then we started like, oh, crap, we got to actually go be regular real estate agents now. Let, let's do it. So that kind of I won't say the crash caused some of the stress. But yes, anytime uh, as a business owner, entrepreneur, you are in a relationship or married, any type of change in the market. And that's why they always joke that like 50 percent of agents are divorced or whatever. Right. Just to say it because it is stressful. You know, it's a it's a high volume career and, and a lot of changes. So, uh, and that's really after, after that part is so that's when I probably around 2011, 12, I decided to go back to Georgia. And when I came back, I was like, dang, man, what, what do I do now? I, I'm starting from scratch again. How do we do this? And at the time I was just like, look, I got to kind of get, get my feet settled here. So I took a job working at, at a, a flowers bakery, which is a very large bread manufacturing bakery here and I was working night shifts. So for a year I was working nights selling real estate during the day to build up my business again, in the new area. So that whole year, man, I was grinding, um, nonstop. And, and then after, after about a year or so, I, I figured out, okay, cool. Here's how my business is going to run. And then went left that job, went full-time in real estate and started building out a team in a brokerage and so on. But it was a humbling experience when you're going from doing 37 million a year to then working in a bakery, right? And then you're doing night shift too. So it was it was a good thing because it did kind of humble me back, but it also made me dig down and really build a true real estate business and not be reliant on, on the REO business as much. Before, before um, we move but, on, because I really want to dive into the business side, I want to stay on the relational side because I, I think we're in a period where if the market continues to head in a bad direction, people could get in trouble in their family lives, et cetera. Do you feel like it was kind of a con like a perfect storm, right? Where you had a year or a couple years, however long you had with the REOs, where you're literally probably working a hundred hours a week because you're servicing 150 listings. So then all of a sudden the relationship gets, gets distant because you don't have time to invest followed by switch to complete opposite where now you're in a time of stress. Do you feel like that's what happened? Absolutely. And even when you're working those hundred hours with that, you're raking in cash. So cash is, is helping out vacations, trips, like it can hide issues that are, that are underlying. Right. And then when the, the large income goes away and you're, you're shifting models, that's when it really can come out. So a lot of relationships, I feel when it does take that dip, you're never seeing relationships really fall apart when everybody's making a ton of money. 
you know, you know, per se. But as soon as there's a shift in it, if that relationship, in my opinion, isn't strong, it's going to crack and it's going to crack fast. Yeah. Uh, and that's just what I've seen around the industry. You know, I've been, I've been in the industry since I was six. So I've seen a lot of stuff and that's usually what I notice. So what I want to do is put yourself back in the shoes. It's 2006 again. You're just coming out of the military. You get the you get your first REO account. How do you structure or do things differently this time than than last time? I would have I would have treated REO like another business. So I would also have built a real estate team or doing regular traditional real estate to build that up. And REO is just another platform that I knew would run out. Back then, I didn't think it'd ever run out. I don't know why. I just was turning and burning and never said, oh, what's going to happen when REOs ends? It just never hit me. Going back on it, I would have built out two different businesses and let them run separately. So when REO ran out, it was just transitioning right back into that. Uh, and that's the mistake I made is focusing too much on that and not looking five years ahead. But when you're brand new to industry, I think that's common of agents not because they don't know what they're getting into and, and how the growth is. But man, I wish I would have looked like five years ahead and said, I got to set myself up now. Yeah. Well, in doing that creates a lot of positive things, right? I mean, so one, you create a business that survives, so you don't have the time of stress in the future, but by building a business and hiring and delegating, you still keep time for family in the midst of this craziness. I know my broker that I work for here in California, he was doing like four or 500 house sales a year off of REOs back in the day. And he was like, dude, it was the most miserable time like in my existence. I mean, I had my bank account was stacked, yeah. but it was so miserable. Uh, the, the only thing that I think made it not that miserable for me is I was 26. Right. I was full of energy, knew, you know, I could see it right now. I would be like, dang, man, I gotta, it would, it would be a lot of work, but you know, it's lucrative, but it is a lot. But when I was at that age, it didn't matter. I was ready to work, you know, and, and I think that that helped a lot for it not to burn me out because I've never really gotten burnt out from real estate. I've, I've gotten burnt out from a shift possibly and, and personal stuff, right? You know, going through the divorce, that can, that can break you down and it's hard to concentrate. And, but I don't feel that real estate itself has ever broken me down. So you're obviously a hard worker. You are killing it, working hard for that. The divorce happens, you move, going back home with family you don't just hop into one job and you're not like sitting there in the basement moping. Like you are working a bakery job at night so that you can sell real estate during the day. Give us a sense of like, what did your day look like when you were doing the double shifts? So I was making $18 an hour. So that, that right there is, and I remember going in and, and interviewing and getting hired and they're like, Hey, cool. He pays 18 bucks an hour. I was like, what the, you know, this is nuts, you know, but I learned to get skinny. I learned to really watch my expenses. It, it just changed a lot with it. So but before, let's, 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 let's do some contrasting and comparing here for a second. So you were doing $38 million, right? So if we put that into commission terms, was that like 700,000, a million dollars in GCI? Yeah, a million. Million dollars in GCI. What was your net? If you don't mind saying, what was your net on the 38 million? So the, in 2008, which was one of my better ones, I netted 672,000 as a 28 year old. It, it, oh. That that didn't include our additional revenue streams that we were getting off the REOs. You know, we, we owned a plumbing company, we owned a lawn service to service the REOs in addition yeah. to it. That that was another six, potentially seven figure that we were doing. So me and my buddy, 
he made 600, I made 600. We both were around the same age. And we're like, dude, this is crazy. And that went on for several years. Uh, and then that's when, you know, you, you live a certain way, especially at that age, you, you, you're not thinking right. You know, like yeah. I always tell this joke. I was like, man, I want a jet ski. So I went, went to the dealership, bought a jet ski and realized, shit, my Lexus doesn't have a, a hitch on it. So I walked across the street and bought an Escalade to pull my jet ski in one afternoon. Like it was nothing. <laughs> I hate to say that loud, but that's just how it is when it's going like that. And especially when you're younger and, you know, I was coming out of the Navy. I maybe made 40 grand, you know, and all of a sudden I'm making that in a month. Yep. And so it, it was, it was different. And that's why when I moved back home and $18 an hour, I was like, man, I'm back to, back to where I was getting paid at the Navy. Well, exactly right. You're going from a place where you could buy an Escalade on a whim because why not? Like, I don't want to wait uh, to, yeah, I mean, literally 18 bucks an hour, which obviously, okay, 15, 20 years ago or whatever that was, almost 20 years ago, that's a little better than it is now. But still, I mean, that's nothing compared to 672,000 net. Um, what sort of like humility or like what sort of psychological problems did you have to solve in order for that to even work? Like for you not to be like, to heck with, I'm not going to work 18 bucks an hour. Dude, I'll be honest, I don't know. I just knew that I had to grind and, and, I just said, dude, this is starting over. And yeah. I was in the process of just getting my license even transferred over. I wasn't even licensed in Georgia yet. And I was like, dude, just do it. I mean, I had to wear a uniform, a hairnet, dude, hard hats. Like it was insane. And I just remember like that first month, I was like, this is freaking crazy, man. And I was depressed, but you know, grinding out, going there. And then by the third month, I was employee of the month. But I'm like, I don't want, I'm not trying to be employed much. I, I'm trying. <laughs> I'm not trying to go to 1850 an hour. <laughs> yeah. Right. So, but it, it was cool because I, it kind of got me back to like, okay, look, working hard pays off. We yeah. all know that. Right. So it shifted me to that. And it was around the same time. My license finally got transferred over in Georgia, bam. And then I just started working. I, I, I go in at uh, midnight, get off at 8 a.m. By 10 a.m. I'm showing houses or I'm, I'm making calls, lead gen in, try to get to bed by six, seven o'clock at night. If I'm writing offers, you know, whatever, turn around, go back at 12, work, work to 8 a.m., repeat, repeat, repeat. And then uh, finally, after about a year or so, I built up enough that I could do it. And I joke about this, and it's, it's funny though. So when I moved back, Escalade had to get rid of it, right? Can't be doing that. So I had a Buick Rainier, SUV that I, I had some money set up. I was able to buy cash, you know, stay skinny with it. The, the week when I went in and told the guys, there, I was like, Hey guys, I got to put my two week notice. I'm doing that. Like, Oh, cool, man. No problem. You've done great. Look, just be done in a week. So two days before I left there, I pulled up in a seven series BMW and done it because during that year I'd built up the business so much that it was warranted that. So it was like, bam, and so I, at that point, I felt like, all right, cool. We're getting back to it. What did we learn? And so that's when I'd, I really built that business as a sustainable, long-term, very scalable business. And it was from that, that struggle that, that taught me that. Instead of going back in the same cycle and trying to get in the short sale game, which that was around by then, I was like, no, we're going to go back and just build this up. That year of building. Best year of your life, worst year of your life? 
both. I mean, it, <laughs> I would say it, it was probably the worst, but as soon as I put in that two-week notice, it became the best. Right? <laughs> it was One more like, time to tell the man no. It, it was like, man, I, I, I did it. I, I grinded where most people just would have been cool, and they might have just stuck with an 18-hour and worked their way up to 20 for the rest of their life. You know, it, and I said, dude, this isn't, I said, you love real estate. You're good at it. Don't, don't let struggles change what's, what's destined for you. And I knew that's what I wanted is to, is to stay in real estate. What do you think really did it? Um, so like, this is interesting because you kind of bring up the point that, I mean, you, you obviously could have been dejected and stayed there for your, your whole career, which is very possible when people get beat down like that. Some people never get back up, but was it, was it the memories of all the fancy cars and all the fun times? Was it like, I'm not going to go out like this? Like what, what caused you to know, like, no, I got to get back on the horse. You know, I think it's, it's almost crazy. The flexibility of being able to run your business how you want, right? The military, you're told when to wipe your own butt, go to bed, whatever, right? I felt like that when I came and started working for that bakery, be there 12, go off at eight. And I'm like, man, this is not, I like to, it, I feel like it kept me from thinking outside the box. So what I love about real estate is there's so many facets to it that you can really develop it how you want. And so I'm thinking that that losing, not having to be structured, letting me make my own structure is what's driven me to stay and, and grow in real estate. Um, because, you know, hey, you get to like run your own play, however you want to do it. Yeah. So you obviously like nice cars. Uh, Cause I mean, that's how you knew you made it before. And so like, if you were to like talk, like what are your main priorities, like material possession wise? Like, what do you love to strive for? Is it like, is that what you have on your vision board? Dude, what's crazy is now I don't care about any of that. Mm. Right. Like, I, I still do drive a BMW, but I've been driving it for five years, right? Like I've gotten away from that as I've, as I've gotten older and, and plan and try to do bigger things, right? And bigger things could be buying commercial buildings, apartment complexes, that type of stuff, as opposed to having the newest seven series out or, or the best house out, you know, you can still have those things, but that's not, does it, it's not a drive for me anymore. I, I don't. I don't care as much about that. It's more about, boom, setting myself up for later. Yeah. Where if I don't want to work, I don't have to, right? That's that's where every vision board is to do it. And the best way to do that is multiple streams of revenue, right? And that's, I'd say that's kind of my claim to fame is I've been able to develop so many different things that all spin off of them. And, and so that's my vision board. You know, shoot, back then it was, it was Escalades, BMWs, nice houses, uh, vacations, but now it, it's, it's more of, Hey, you know, what, what, what else can I get into? Yeah. Well, and this kind of flies in the face of, and I know there's going to be, I'd like to get your opinion on this, but I mean, you got to talk about like guys like Alex Hermosi and many, many of the very, very successful cream of the crop are like, focus on one thing, go all the way in. You're like six, seven streams of revenue. Like why has that model of diversifying your businesses worked so well for you? Well, I do think whatever you do start adding revenue, it needs to spin off something. For example, a hedgehog, right? You got a hedgehog, all these spikes coming off of it, all these different things. So whatever you do the best, you know, stick to what you know, but learn how to add revenue streams off of what you know. So I always joke because my dad, whenever I was like deciding what to do, whatever, he's like, what do you know best? So I know real estate, he's like, stick to what you know. 
So you're not going to see me go try to open up a restaurant to, to get into car sales, whatever. I'm going to stick with everything that I have to do has to do with real estate. And that's how I've been able to, I think, build it and be successful with those revenue streams and, and make them feed off each other. You know, yeah. if they can feed off each other, it's hard to go wrong. Yeah. So, and you are buying ownership interest in these businesses. Are you building them from the ground up? How are you developing them? Yeah. So I'll partner and build them from the ground up most of the time. You know, very rarely do, do I have a business that's already thriving and I'll come in there and give it gasoline. I like to kind of start from scratch and have the systems that work for me to be implemented. And, and it seems to fast track. It also allows the, the, all the parties involved to know, hey, look, here's projections of revenue. You know, it's been done numerous times. This is what you can project to make. And it's easier to grow something, I think, when you when you have that projection, when you know what's what's feasible, what's on the other side. Yeah, absolutely. So you're building these out. Now, I interviewed a guy named Joshua Wilson months and months ago, maybe six or eight months ago, which feels like an eternity for us with the number of episodes we do. He, he had a really good framework. He basically said when he pays $150,000 a year for services, that's when he knows he needs to start that business because he can go hire an operator that's high, high level and he can crush it in that business. What, do you have a framework like that? Like, how do you know when it's time to put another revenue stream on, on paper? Yeah, absolutely. And again, it's going gonna, it's gonna to base it off your main one. So we'll just take real estate, for example. Once I can get a brokerage from scratch, a new location, up and running where it's profitable, you know, 10, 20K net a month, that's when you can start adding things because it can spin off there. Then, for example, let's just say mortgage. Well, once you get your mortgage kind of up and running, which was spun off of your real estate business, but you're having outside people use it, then you can really develop it more. So now I'm developing a mortgage company and I'm developing a brokerage at the same time. Then you're going to throw in title with it because title can pump off that. Where I think a lot of people go wrong with revenue streams is they keep it so isolated to the main thing. So if you have a brokerage and you're doing mortgage and title with it, they only look at that revenue from what they pull out, not all the additional revenue things that can come from those particular ones, right? You know, you, you start getting into that, then it becomes a lot more where you're recruiting LOs, recruiting agents, like it all spins off. But I think that's that's the key is when, when you start from scratch and you get to that number where you can support another revenue stream, do it. And I kind of like what that what the, the guy you just mentioned, what he does is once it's going, you feel like you're paying too many fees, you can start your own, bring it in. I kind of agree with that, but I also am more of a, develop myself so I know what I have, then replace myself. Because what I found a lot of agents and even brokers and stuff do, they'll go and try to replace themselves, but they don't even know how to do it well. So how the hell can you train the person you're replacing and know, and how can you hold them accountable? And it, it, it's I always tell people like, you gotta know what you're doing first before you can put someone in your place. Now, after a while, yeah, you don't have to do it ever again, but you gotta at least know, hey, this is how it's structured. And you are like this from the very beginning. Cause I mean, if we go back to the beginning of your story, I mean, you're getting 150 listings, you're building lawn businesses, you're building all these businesses. So like, I mean, you came from the Navy, right? Like, I mean, wh what are you doing? You reading books or is this just like an intuitive genius? That's like, Hey, I'm going to make money this way, this way, this way, this way. Dude, this is hilarious. And I tell this a lot. So the submarine is you're underwater for 45 days, 60 days, you have nothing to do. So you're either gambling, playing chess, whatever. But what I noticed Towards the end of the tour, cigarettes, Cokes, candy bars, 
became a hot commodity. So I would be pulling port. I would stack up my rack and stuff full of Cokes. I'd wait to the end of the trip and people are like, hey man, can I buy a pack of smokes? Yeah, 20 bucks. What? They're two bucks? Hey man, you want them or not? And I started realizing, hey, the longer we were out to sea, the more I could make. And it kind of spun from that. So when I came out, I was already in hustle mode and, and I would look at all opportunities and that's kind of, it just fell in my lap. So I, I joke, I, I appreciate the submarine for teaching me how to gamble and take advantage of situations, but that's kind of how it started. I'm like, dude, I can make money off this. I can make money off that. And I joke because I probably made more money going out to sea, selling the, the products and stuff than I did when we were in port. You know, I, I come because it, it's important. It's your stock and it's your inventory time, right? Right. And then everybody can go get it cheap then. So I just, I'll go and stack up and, and just be, be ready. That's so cool. Well, and, and really like, I like to think about what's the skill or what's the character trait? What's the value that's happening here? Really you're displaying foresight and you're displaying the character of like delayed gratification, right? Like patience. And, and those resulted for you, you know, maybe it's three, four, five months in your deployment. All of a sudden it's starting to pay some nice dividends. My brother was actually on the subs as well. And his chess game pre-sub and post-sub, like I went from, I could beat him a lot to I'll never beat him again. Um, so we know what he was doing on the subs. Uh, love that man. So, so really like it was just this intuitive spark that happened. Like you had some business success and you kind of got hooked on creating the arbitrage, right? Selling on the margin. Yeah. That, that I think you also look at it. Like if you were real big into sales, a true entrepreneur, you're always looking at something. That doesn't mean it always works. And, I, and don't get me wrong, I try a bunch of other things that don't work. I just am really good at knowing when to cut that off and not keep going like, all right, that didn't work. Let's go that, let's do this way. And so I think a lot of that is is developed over time and, and you can just really add things to your business if you're willing to try and test it out and be okay with failure. Where I think a lot of agents or brokers don't go and try to bring on these other ones because they're either scared it'll fail or the little bit of, of challenges, like, no, we're not gonna do it. This, let's just stick to what we know, we'll just stay here. And I'm like, dude, no, you, you gotta fail. The more you fail, the more money you're gonna make. Yeah. So you got business through REOs, where it's obviously, it's a lot of skill and, and work and process, maybe even a little bit of luck, although I don't think many of us here believe in luck, but basically like, you got the account and you had a lot of business coming in and you had to service it well. Yep. Then when, when that dried up, we need to go back. Now you were in the, the place a lot of agents are where you had to go hustle and get deals maybe one by one or something. Tell us like, what was your strategies to go and build a, a, again, but not having maybe the REOs to, to fill your business? So when I got back and decided, I said, what, what, what's my model going to be to start with? And, and I was used to being on the team. So I said, I'm going to start with buyer leads first. And at that time, if you remember... 2006, that's just when Zillow, Trillia started coming about. So the, the online lead gen was still very fresh and it wasn't. So I kind of made that my pillar right there and became really good at lead gen online. And I used that for, for myself to get going. I mean, I drive two hours. I get off work, get out of my hair nets, put on a collar shirt, drive two hours, show some houses, come back. So I knew though to generate those leads, I couldn't be hyper-focused because I had to get them cheap, you know? And so I, I kind of use the internet and to this day, I am still very heavy 
in Internet Legion. Like I, I didn't really start to build a referral business. I never did that. I really focused on Legion and just use that. Then, of course, I was able to get a buyer's agent. Then I could start doing Legion for sellers. I was careful about, again, I like to know everything before I put someone in place. So I made sure I understood the lead flow, how to work these buyer leads, these internet leads I was generating, uh, Facebook, Craigslist, I killed it on Craigslist, right? That's a different ball game though. So I did tell the buyer's agent, then I moved into listings. So it, it was a, a traditional, I'd say, the only thing is I didn't bring an admin on right away. I, I chose to bring on buyer's agents and then later brought in the admin. Craigslist is amazing. Like we were generating 38 cent, 83 cent, like legit leads. Dan, I, I, I it, even back then there were so many things that aren't around now that, that were huge and they were free tools because the internet wasn't smart enough. They didn't know they could monetize almost everything yet. And, and I remember, man, you could get Zillow for two bucks a lead back then. And, and honestly, you know, we're a very large Zillow flex team here in Georgia. And it all kind of started because in 2010, I started advertising with Zillow. And, and I know a lot of people don't want to hear this, but I've always used Zillow as a pillar to provide leads to my buyer's agents. Yeah, I just really taught people how to convert them. Yeah. And, and that's how our brokerage is. Sure, we're, we're in flex. We're, we love it because we focus on these agents and their conversion rates. So it's just I've always done internet leads, and that's how I, I decided I'd, I'd build that. Uh, God forbid if the internet goes down, I'm screwed again, but I, I don't think that's ever going to happen. So, uh, you just got to stay ahead of the game with that. Absolutely. I like, you're so thankful for Zillow because they allowed you to buy leads at a discount and make a ton of money. I'm so thankful for Zillow because they just pr produced the greatest free public directory of for sale by owners. We sold millions of dollars of commission off. Of, like there's always two sides to the coin, right? I mean, there's a side where it's like, Hey, this is going to wipe me out. And there's a side of like, wait, there's a company that's doing millions of dollars of research and development on what websites should look like and how they should work. And I could just kind of more or less make something similar for a thousand bucks. Um, yep. Like there's, sure. there's, and, and if, if, if the people I think too is they were using, didn't have success, a, they weren't really looking at their ROI and B, they weren't really looking. How can I take advantage of these leads? Is it my conversion? Is it whatever? So I'm, I'm not a big fan of when people say, Oh, Hey, these are bad leads. I feel like there's no leads that are bad leads. Uh, give me any lead. I'll 100%. do something with it. It's a name with uh, a phone number and email address, right? Let's go. Yeah, that's it. You know, like I, I used to, this is what would be so funny is, you know, back in, when Zillow would throw out all the leads all the time, right? People would have already bought a house. Well, what we started doing is we come across that. We started selling them ADT services. We were making 500 bucks a pop off of having AD. We just relay the information, get them set up. So we didn't care if they already had an agent or they already sold. We're like, cool. We just probably pick up 500 bucks. So we <laughs> used whatever we were given, we were leveraging it. And, and, and that's, that's where I think is shoot, give me leads, get, let me build some data up. I'll figure out some way to leverage that and profit off of it. I mean, this is really cool. I mean, Cody Sanchez, who's a big business buyer talks about that a lot. The greatest businesses in the world are, are basically they're created from the sawdust, like the, the leftover products, the things that people aren't monetizing. If you take that, a lot of times you get that stuff for free. You could take that stuff and make, make a lot of money out of it. So, I mean, like you seem to have a real knack for seeing the undervalued things, the sawdust, if you will, and, and turn them into money. Yeah. And it's everything it's, it can be monetary valued. It's just, yeah how to get it and, and what way to look at it. I want to ask you a personal question because we talked about personal struggles earlier. So 
you're, it seems like you're like a wheeler dealer type, right? Like in personal life, how, how much does that serve you? And how much does that hurt you? Dude, well, if you play me in golf, you're not going to like it because yeah. I, I'm going to wheel and deal you there. Yeah. But, it, you know, it, in personal life, I do always look at, at angles of things, not in a bad yeah. way, but like, what, what will, what will this end up doing for these people? If I, if, how can I help these friends and family by, by a way that that's easy and, and also continuous? Like, you know, yeah. I, I'm more of a, you know, me, I've been told this a lot that I am not really more of an affirmation. I like to do things to show my appreciation or mm -hmm. family love and stuff. I'm not the best at saying, especially the people that work for me, you can say, you're going to get a pat on the back every now and then, take it, but you're going to love working for me because of everything that I, I do give you to show my appreciation. Um, so that's how- You're going to run through brick walls for your people. Yes. Yeah. And I'm going to make sure they got the best of everything. And I think of them first, but I'm not the best at vocalizing that, you know, because yeah. I, I do it now. I do look at all the different angles and, and what can go wrong, you know, what, what, what can go great and, and kind of do it. So whenever I make changes in my business and stuff, I immediately think is how's this going to affect everybody that works for me? Yeah. That's first and foremost. Then if it makes sense, cool. This is a good, a good value proposition. So when, when exactly is it the right time to add a second stream of revenue? I think really once you have that first one going and it's just starting to turn and burn, because when you add another one, it fuels it as well. So, so what, what does going wanna, mean? What does turn and burn mean? So let's just say, here's a great example. We'll use a small yeah. marketing agreement. Let's say I'm a new agent, right? And I get in the business. I'm starting to do deals. I meet a lender and I'm like, hey, look, I'm going to send you some clients. Do you got any send me? Well, as soon as I do one deal with them, I'm immediately going to ask, hey, can I get two grand a month MSA agreement? Hey, can I get three grand? Well, you know, I'm immediately going to use that because that's going to spark the growth of what I just started, right? That's an influx of cash. I'm going to marketing agreement. Now, two grand, hey, let's go throw that into marketing. Let's go do this with it. Uh, and then as that gets bigger, that marketing agreement can grow. You know, then you want to get to the point where you can't even get a big enough MSA agreements to make sense with what you're doing. You got to go open your own mortgage company. You know, that's kind of like what your buddy's saying. And what's this doing? He goes and gets some high level person to run it. Essentially, it's the same. So I don't think that there's ever a right away, you know, and I wish I would have jumped into the bigger revenue streams, you know, commercial properties or mortgage sooner. I thought I had to be so well established and stuff to go do that. And that's in, very wrong, inaccurate. I, I should have done it right away and figure out ways to make it work because it will drive that main business, which then drives everything, you know, because you, you just, you learn, you bring more people in and if they're high level, dude, it's going to even go faster. Yeah. So to answer your question, I don't really know. I say as soon as you can. Okay. So bottom line is add a vertical revenue stream that is, integrated into what you're doing as soon as possible, but in income streams that are like way over here, not related to the business, just don't add those. I don't, I, I try to stick to, to what I know because if my time gets pulled away building those and there's no other vehicle that I can attach them to, to help grow it. So I try to make all my revenue streams feed off each other, right? If I go and try to do something that's not really associated, it's going to take my time away. And it's not going to feed the rest. 
So that's why I, I, it's very, I have people all the time, hey man, let's invest in this. I'm like, dude, that's not my alley. I don't have enough knowledge. I don't want to go learn it. I'm just going to stick to what I know and grow it uh, with it. And I, I could be small minded, but I know that I can control everything that's, that runs through me. Yeah. What's your, what's your vision for the next 12 to 18 months? You know, we're constantly growing right now. And what we're growing mainly on is adding other partnerships and brokerages to open up new locations with us. And we want to get in there, set them up, get them growing, add the revenue streams, have someone, that broker take over and run it and really run that model with us. And then we duplicate it, duplicate it. And we've been doing this for about two years now and we're getting better and better. So really our vision is to continue to add this, but also expand out. Because right now we're kind of in Georgia, Florida, South Carolina, North Carolina. We just got one in Utah. And so now we're wanting to keep going across the United States, right? And then that adds mortgage across the U.S. Some areas have higher sales prices, you know? And, and so it can change a lot. Love it. Charles, man, thanks so much for coming on and sharing about your life and your business. It's just so impressive because I've tried to do some of the things you've done and it was not as easy as you made it sound. So you obviously have a really good knack for this. For those of you out there listening, though, take some great notes. I mean, this was a man that was in the Navy spending most of his year underwater, not connected to much, and was building the skills to do something now where he's got six streams of income. Um, a man who was able to humble himself from making $672,000 net all the way down to 18 bucks an hour and then has come back. So thank you again, Charles. Write down something that you learned. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable. Because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode.